Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy continues now. And make sure to stay tuned to catch me, Mike Gallagher, coming up at 9, only on AM 560, The Answer. Dan and Amy, uh, CNN did one of its little roundtables with uh, groups of voters. This time, Allison Camerata with Suburban Women. And uh, here's two snapshots that I think uh, sort of nicely represent the divide, if you will, and not just among suburban women generally, but here is uh, one suburban woman Camerata spoke with. This year I will be voting straight down the Democratic line. My speech bubble would say words matter. Um, And the words that are out there every day um, are just eating at me. And the only way for me to fight that little me um, right now is, is to vote against what he stands for or who's standing behind him. What he stands for, of course, President Trump. His words matter, but the li- the likes of uh, Don Lemon and others don't matter. Hmm. The Maxine Waters. I mean, this is the subject of some late in the game. Twitter ads from Trump. RNC ads, mobs versus jobs proposition. Uh, On the issue of mobs versus jobs, another suburban woman is selecting jobs. I am voting on jobs, number one. And do you feel that the job situation here is good or bad? Much better, much better. The more jobs, the, the, the better people feel, the more money, disposable income, keeps the economy going. I think there's nothing negative about that. I do believe that jobs are important. Um, I have experienced job loss on myself in the past five years, um, which has also opened my eyes to our health care situation. That if you lose your job, you lose your health care. If you lose your job, you lose your health care. And that happened to you? That happened to me. We were promised that we were able to keep our health care if Obamacare went through and our premiums doubled. So you get a sense of which way that suburban woman is leaning. So how does it all shake out in the key races? Remember, it's a small subset of the overall. And what kind of turnout are we going to get? Is it going to effectively revert back to historical norms uh, around the country? Or will you see some spikes with uh, races where there's a chance to you know, make history like the Democrats like t- to say in places like Georgia? For more on this topic, we're pleased to be joined by Hotair.com's Ed Morrissey. He's also a columnist for the week. Ed, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Great to be on with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so words matter. I know that from Jeff Zucker. Um, Don Lemon saying that, uh, you know, white men are the greatest terrorist threat to this country. White men have been radicalized. You had a GQ's uh, Julia Ihoff suggest that Trump has radicalized more um, people than ISIS. Uh, you know, now, of course, they all, all apologize, just like Joe Donnelly did yesterday, suggesting that he has minority staffers who, despite the fact they're minorities, do a good job. Uh, I mean, it's just remarkable. The uh, focus of the left is all on race identity politics, identity politics generally, specifically race and bigot baiting. And Trump is trying to turn that to jobs and border security, really, in the final days, and how do you handicap which argument compels the majority of voters? Well, it's a great question. Uh, I think that uh, in, under normal circumstances, the economy would probably be the, the um, most uh, influential 
issue in a midterm election. And if that's the case, then the economy's looking great. Uh, we're still waiting for the jobs report, which will come out tomorrow for October. But, I mean, the GDP got 3.5% in, in the second quarter, 4.2%. Uh, excuse me, in the third quarter, 4.2% in the second quarter of growth. You've got uh, wages, which have gone up more in the past year than any time in the last 10 years. There's some, a lot of great uh, economic stories out there. Uh, I think the, the one caveat I'd give to that is that Republicans aren't talking about it enough. Yeah. Well, the other, the other thing I'd say, though, too, is that uh, talking about uh, 225,000 jobs created in October, for example, or GDP growth or wage growth, that's there's not a, a real emotional component to that for most people. But you want to fan the flames of kind of, kind of interpersonal conflict or name-calling. You know, that has the emotional quotient the Democrats are counting on. This is why Tom Perez writes the op-ed in The Hill yesterday that bigotry is on the ballot on Tuesday. Right. You know, again, you're right, because it's a, it's an emotional touchstone. There are emotional touchstones here, too. I mean, you could be talking about the, the, the clip you just played is a great example of how you frame the economy. Uh, you get those personal stories out there. You, you get people who have uh, been able to finally pay off some of their debt because they've got a job that actually pays something. Um, I mean, there's ways to do that. Uh, the, the Republicans seem to be more focused on the, the migrant caravans, which is another emotional yeah. uh, touchstone issue. But, yeah. um, you know, that's the economy plays well, I think, across the board. If you tell somebody you're going to get you're going to make more money next year, ideology kind of takes a second, you know, takes a back seat to that. And uh, there, there are ways of framing that. I mean, James Carville and, and the Clintons did a great job of framing the economy in 92 and again in 96 because it, the economy was good in 96. And so um, I, I, I'm thinking that this is still going to be their, their closing message, uh, that coming down here to the last few days before the midterms are really – maybe they're waiting for the jobs report to just lock everything up. But um, I think that that's still their best bet. When you take a look at the issues that people care about, uh, the economy is still number one. Jobs in the economy are still number one. Well, where does border security play in all of this? I mean, President Trump announcing yesterday that he could send anywhere from – 10,000 to 15,000 troops along the border. Is he doing this to stir the base, possibly? Or do you think that he's just doing it to head off this one caravan that seems defiant to come into this country? Well, you know, the, the caravan thing is, is kind of curious to me. Uh, the caravan is, is going to present itself, uh, this is what, at least what they say, they're going to present themselves to the normal uh, border check so that they can apply for asylum, which is what they'd have to do. You can't just run across the border and then apply for asylum. So um, the, the border security issue, <clears throat> I think, is it, it's, it definitely stokes the base, but I think that base has already been stoked. It had already been stoked prior to that. And so uh, you know, the, the focus on birthright citizenship, the, the you know, sending people to the border, I, I get that that's going to stoke, um, that's going to stoke passion. But I think it's stoking passion where passion already existed, and I think it's you get to a point where you want to start making the broader argument in a midterm election. Well, right, but I mean, this is something that was foisted upon Trump. Uh, he, you know, he didn't instigate well, right. He didn't instigate this caravan, so he's got to deal with it. And the interesting thing is, he's dealing with it where nobody in either party has for three decades, oh, for and um, and I think he's scoring points for doing so, while Democrats 
are afraid to address the issue at, at all. Even Beto O'Rourke from El Paso, you know, has to study this issue like it's the first time he's ever heard about it. So he's really got the Democrats on defensive on the matter. Well, it's always, um, it's almost always a plus to, to have an executive act like an executive right before an election. Yeah. And so I, I think that to, to some extent, you're right about that. And, and, and it was an issue that was foisted upon him because the caravans were, uh, were organized in the last few weeks. Um, and, and it seems clearly uh, an idea to, to do right before a midterm election to try to, uh, to try to stoke some divisions inside the United States. So, yes. And, and I think that there's a lot of benefit for a president, who, and he can act like a president when he can act presidential. And ordering the troops to the border to, to deal with the situation is one of those ways of being presidential. With that said, I think that um, maybe opening up the debate on birthright citizenship might even be distracting away from that, because that's not actually something an executive can do. And I think that he would have been better off just focusing on the, uh, you know, demonstration of strength at the border and leaving it at that until after the election. Uh, oh, so do you agree with Paul Ryan then? I, you can't you can't solve that through an executive order. There's already there, there's two reasons. One is the 14th Amendment and the other is that in 1952 Congress actually passed a law which which states which 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 uh, reinforces birthright citizenship. So before you can do anything, you'd have to get rid of that statute. Congress has to act. An EO is not going to do it. Uh, I to... uh, now that doesn't that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that birthright citizenship isn't a, isn't a good topic for debate. I'm just saying that you can't do it through an EO. The means, yeah. Uh, I want to get to some specific races. Uh, obviously, uh, I'm an Illinois resident, so uh, I'm you planning are? to leave. Um, and so, so what's happening in other states is important to me, uh, particularly Florida. Uh, and uh, Ron DeSantis just picked up a, a big endorsement for all of the. Uh, propaganda from the left about uh, Republicans fomenting anti-Semitism. I mean, where the, the conservatives are the great defenders of the state of Israel, uh, Judeo-Christian values, uh, op- opponents to the BDS movements on college campuses. Uh, you know, where the, the, the what the left gets away with is incredible to me. But uh, that's an aside. I'm sorry. DeSantis picking up the endorsement of the Jewish press uh, over Gillum in Florida. Very close race. How do you see that race turning out? Oh, you know, Florida is always so tough. Um, it's going you know, so well. That, uh, how would they go with? How could they go with a Democrat socialist? How is Gillum even competing against De- DeSantis with how well Florida is doing? You know, it's it's a great question, and I'm not necessarily sure how well he's competing. I mean, the the problem there is that you've got early voting that's coming out that's looking pretty good for Republicans, and it's hard for me to imagine that. If that sustains itself, that Gillum has much of a chance, or for that matter, Bill Nelson. Yeah. Um, but you know, Nelson's an incumbent, so there's, there's, he's got a little bit more, um, he's got a little bit more inertia behind him. But Gillum isn't, and I, I don't see Gillum winning that race unless Democrats really turn on the afterburners on election day. But um, I, I'm with you. I'm a little mystified as to how it's. This close. He's also involved in a um, uh, in a corruption scandal. Yeah, he's under Alabama. FBI investigation. I know it's it's insane. It's like something that would happen in Illinois, um, uh, which is so. I don't want to leave here to go to the, to the same place. Same thing. Um, let, let me ask you: uh, to any surprises you think, any upsets that are brewing for Republicans, like maybe a John James in Michigan, um, uh, uh, you know, races that we're not paying attention to because there's so many to keep track of that are close but where yeah. a, a Republican could spring an upset? 
Yeah, okay, so uh, first off, I'd love it if, if that was true with John James because he's just such a, a, a quality candidate, that, uh, and, he's, and he's making up a lot of ground, so it's possible. I would also take a look at Karen Housley up here in Minnesota. Uh, she's running against Tina Smith for the final two years of Al Franken's term, and Tina Smith is not, is not gaining any traction, even in polls which normally favor Democrats, like the Star Tribune poll. And uh, she only got 47% in, that, in the previous uh, Star Tribune poll. And Karen Housley is somebody who is doing a ton of campaigning up here. I think that uh, this is going to be a much closer race than people think it is. Hmm. Klobuchar is going to win, I think, the, the race that she's winning. But I think that there might be some people who want to split votes here and say, well, we'll send Klobuchar, but we'll also send Housley. So that's, those are two. Um, you know, I think in terms of surprises, uh, maybe Dean Heller hanging on in Nevada. It, new polling came out yesterday from Reuters showing him up six points. Um, everybody was writing off Dean Heller three months ago, and um, and he might end up holding that seat. So that would be a, a surprise as well. And you can see it looks like uh, some pickups in Midwestern states. McCaskill's in trouble, and now she's fighting with her yep. own party. Joe Donnelly just had that gaffe I referenced uh, at the debate this week. We need to play again. Um, and so, so boy, uh, you know, that would be nice to see uh, uh, Trump-backed candidates do well in the Midwest where he won his presidency in these midterms, you know, as a springboard to 2020. Uh, indeed, and I think that those are great races to watch. Uh, I would also look at Tester in Montana, real possibility there that he could lose. Nice. All right, very good. He is Ed Morrissey, senior editor for HotAir.com, columnist for the week. Ed, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. The following is a